The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, December 16th, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live from Blastoff Studios here in Times Square. We have a full panel uh, discussion this morning, one hour of My Feet on the Street. Joining me today, Parul Brombat from Core Group, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Realty, Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Nadia Bartolucci from Douglas Elliman, welcome, and Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com. We are going to be talking today about a couple of hot topics. First one, though, is Dumbo in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's hottest neighborhood will be even hotter in 2015. It is slated to be New York City's hottest hood, uh, according to a new report from StreetEasy, Dumbo's population has nearly doubled since 2000, and home prices have increased by 50% in 2014 alone. In Dumbo, where the priciest homes for sale uh, is $18 million, it's a triplex penthouse in the Clock Tower building, the median sale price jumped from $1,399,000 in 2014. That's quite a jump. And this year's median asking rent price is $4,375, which is slated to shoot up to $4,871 per month next year. Dumbo's population jumped from 1,133 people in 2000 to 3,831 in 2013, according to the census uh, data that was recorded. The third and fourth on the list were Battery Park City and West Harlem in Manhattan. Second was Vinegar Hill. Um, what's happening in Dumbo? What, what, is, what is all this, this buzz and, and, and hype about Dumbo? Now, listen, I mean, I love the place. It's beautiful. It's, it's a great alternative, I think, to the traditional Brooklyn um, type look and feel neighborhood. But what's going on in Dumbo? Vince, I think um, it's just so convenient to get from Dumbo to just about anywhere in Manhattan quickly. And I think that as people are looking for more space for still something that is a little less price, lesser of a price point than Manhattan, um, I just think it's become a really good alternative. And the neighborhoods has gotten really fun and there's a lot of things going on. There's restaurants. There's bars. Once that sort of comes in, then there's a lifestyle choice there that's kind of uh, appealing. Well, kind of remi- Dumbo rather kind of <clears throat> reminds me of what Soho was years ago, or actually even what Tribeca was. The look yeah. and feel, the sort of grittiness, but not dirty gritty, but just kind of like cobblestone and old world uh, New York. Um, is that really what the appeal is, or is it the pricing? Because quite frankly, you know, there is access to trains, but not that much. You know, you have to kind of walk a bit to get to, what is it, the A or the, the C train? The, the F Manhattan. runs right there. The F. So it's not very terribly convenient by train, but what is it? I, I'm still trying to struggle with in the research that I was doing. Why are people singling out, you know, choices in Dumbo over, say, Brooklyn Heights or, you know, Park Slope or you know, the traditional Brooklyn neighborhoods, Greenpoint these days? I think it's a lack of inventory um, because I just went to contract last week on a property that's on the border of Vinegar Hill and Dumbo. 
Um, and this apartment sold at one, two, six, five, three years ago. And we went into contract now that we're in contract, I guess I could say this, just a hair under $2 million. So in three years, that was the price jump that we just saw. Well, congratulations. Um, that's fair. that's really good yeah. with, with steep price for that location <clears throat> as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's <clears throat> a great outdoor space, two bedrooms, 1,400 square feet, um, but non-doorman building. So it was pretty interesting to actually be – I mean, and, and I saw that the deal was going to happen right there. I mean, there was there was no alternative. Like it wasn't that we could have talked it down further. Was there an elevator building? Elevated, yes. But was there any views? Because I think that's something that's also uh, appealing of Dumbo with I, the Manhattan Bridge and you know the can, views of Southern Manhattan. For sure, it can be, but uh, it, it, there's also sort of some off and on ramps that, and it could be noisy on that end. Mm-hmm. This is not a view apartment, um, but uh, it's sort of it, it's really unique. I mean, the outdoor space on it is probably about a little less than a thousand square feet. So it's a pretty special apartment. It's not bad. There are a yeah. lot of, um, t- you know, Soho, Tribeca-type, first-generation loft uh, apartments out there where you actually man the elevator yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, to get up to your apartment floor. It's really kind of cool. I love Dumbo. I think it's beautiful. My and actually, thing- the one thing I would add to it is um, I think the the price jump that we're seeing. So when we look at the data, I think it's always interesting. Like, there's always needs to be so much more of an explanation behind data than just sheer numbers, which is three years ago, the market was so sluggish in certain peripheral neighborhoods. So that's when people were making these incredible deals. So now when we see this big price jump three years later, if you compare it to Manhattan prices, you're still getting somewhat of a bargain. Um, There is a reason why people are buying there in addition to other reasons that you brought up. Uh, But I do think that when we just look at that data point of like the prices went up by X amount, I think we really need to pay attention to what was happening in the market in 2011 at that point. I agree. And so on on the heels of that, though, you know, when you're overall looking at a neighborhood with with your buyers, what are you know, what are some of the factors they consider in a neighborhood? Forget the apartment for now or the, the apartment type for now, but in the neighborhood, affordability, housing costs, shopping, safety and crime. We've talked about that, I think, last week's show or the week before restaurants. Schools. I mean, how how important are these things in the decision making factor when you're out there with buyers looking at particular neighborhoods? And then how do they use all this criteria to actually pick one? I mean, I find it interesting when I'm working <clears throat> with buyers for the first time, especially the, what they go through, the process they go through. You know, thinking about all of these elements and then coming up with a, all right, I want to live in Dumbo, or I want to live in Brooklyn Heights, or I want to live on the Lower East Side. I feel like I'm doing all the talking here, so I'm going to step out after right this ahead. one thing <laughs> on this specific transaction because it is so relevant. Um, they weren't Dumbo specific at all. They were a they had a, sp- a specific budget and a timeline where they wanted to move in. So some of the new development options in Deve- in in Brooklyn weren't really an option for them. Um, they're expecting a baby, so they really wanted to sort of have this settled. Um, there is such a lack of inventory when you look at that market segment, like right under to slightly above $2 million, um, two bedrooms, two bedrooms plus. I mean, we looked everywhere from Cobble Hill to, you know, Nomad and, you know, everything in between. And really it was just a matter of they were looking at school districts and all these other things and ultimately came down to the apartment they fell in love with. 
ultimately that's what it does come down it to does. all the time. But Absolutely. but but people do struggle though when they when they need to think about what neighborhood and also what they can find in these neighborhoods. And we've talked about this many times on the show, why people live downtown, why people live uptown, wherever. But, I mean, diversity for one or, or, or creative you know, environments, housing quality, green space. Do any of these things come into your buyers' equations when they're thinking about choosing a neighborhood? I mean, I'd say what's so interesting about real estate is every buyer is different and they all come to you with certain criteria. Um, one, of the, one of the big ones is I want to be close to work. You know, my wife is, wants to be, you know, she's currently 20 minutes away. She doesn't want to, I'm, I'm 10 minutes away, you know, and that's one of the first things where you work. That's important. Um, <clears throat> some people love uptown. Some people love downtown. <clears throat> uptown people love the park. That's a big thing about the park. The downtown people often love the hip factor. They want to be cool. They want to be around you know, some cool places. So I do think it, it really depends. I, I, but to, to your point, the fact that the inventory is so low in Manhattan, people are, being forced to be a little more creative and they're going to some new neighborhoods, Harlem, Brooklyn, some places like that. I think it's also important to differentiate what a buyer needs as opposed to what a buyer wants because that's two different things. Bingo. Okay, that, mm-hmm. that's the million dollar. Yeah, million Very dollar good point. <laughs> but let me ask you something though about, you know, well, elaborate on that a little bit because what is the difference between what they need and what they want? Because that's that's huge. Yeah, um, you know, Nadia and I work with a ton of buyers and a lot of the times the top three end up being not what they end up going with. And so you really have to talk to your buyer, know your buyer. It's not just about setting up appointments. It's, it's about how close do they have to be to the subway, school districts, you know, lifestyle. Do they like running? Do they want to go to Central Park? I mean, these you have to ask questions as a broker. And you know, sometimes it's not so much about what they want. It's knowing precisely the things that will absolutely turn them off because everything else becomes negotiable when there aren't options. So if they, you know that, you know, the wife doesn't want to commute, like you said, for 40, uh, 45 minutes, that's going to be the deciding factor. Is your husband six foot four? How high are the ceilings? <laughs> <laughs> So think to, to some degree, it is important to let them go through their process and of show course. them mm-hmm. what you know their bang for their buck can get them in their top three points, and then expand from there. And then before they know it, they will realize that oh, I'm actually more of a buyer for this neighborhood. I don't mind the 20 minute commute. Um, there is a park over here. It is easy to pick up my child from school. And once they realize that on their own and come to their evolution, they're going to go back to you and appreciate that you helped them get there. Yeah, when you see a lack of inventory, to piggyback off that, when you see a lack of inventory, that's when you're seeing uh, buyers going to fringe neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were Upper West Side. I'm doing a deal today. I'm closing um, down downtown. The financial district started up as an Upper West Side buyer. Um, we went all the way out to we went all the way out to Brooklyn. We were in Williamsburg. We ended up going to Dumbo, and then we closed at Twenty Pine. We're closing today. So Twenty Pine, yeah, interesting. Exactly. Wow. Which is so crazy. Which is, yeah, yeah, which is so different from everything Congratulations. that you could ever think. But that's where they're going to these neighborhoods. And when people are coming into these neighborhoods, that's when you're seeing more of an economy come in, and you're seeing neighborhoods like the Fidei develop, yeah. and more nightlife and restaurants coming in. And I'm, I'm sure something like uh, that will happen in Dumbo as well. I mean, it's happening right now, and it will continue. It happens all over the place. And, you know, when I start with a buyer, as I'm sure all of you do, you, you, you know, you write down that wish list and there might be 10 or 15 items on that wish list. And then I say, okay, and, and neighborhood criteria is always part of that. But then I say, okay, let's cut this in half. And they look at you like you have six heads. Well, why do you want to do that? You just asked me for what my wish list was. And then I explained to them because you're not going to get it. So let's take out half of these items and, and, and bring it down to what we really think we can find. And then we'll go from there. And even then, even so you start with 10 items and you come down to five or six, 
even then you might change a neighborhood because I've had the exact same situation yep. as you, Niall, many times where you start downtown, you end up uptown and vice versa. I think it's also important to know their financials <clears throat> beforehand. Well, and a lot of brokers do not go over their financial statement. And so you can talk about what you want all night long, but what do you really have? What can you really afford? And to to Nadia's point, I think experience is the best teacher. You have to. Yeah. We all have to know that they their process. It's like it's it for us. It's Groundhog Day, right? Like we mm-hmm. have to almost relearn it with them every single time sure. because they really do need to go through the experience of recognizing what's in the market space at their price point and then what's realistic. And you know that list becomes smaller on their own accord if we just allow them to go through their process. If you take it through the process, exactly. As Nadia said, because, you know, they have to know what reality is. And if we have a little time later on in the program, we're going to talk about some mortgage um, uh, tidbits. And and so many people say, well, I can get, you know, X amount of dollars in a loan, so why can't I live in that building? Well, because you can't. And it's more than just what you can qualify for in getting a loan. So we are going to talk, move on and talk about Whisper listings before we take a break. Professionally, singer Shakira's voice can project, but when it comes to her real estate, she prefers to whisper. Isn't that cute? The singer's (laughs) home on North Bay Road in Miami has a whisper asking price of $13 million. The property has seven bedrooms and eight and a half bathrooms. Sources say that Shakira is tired of the 8,800-square-foot mansion. Isn't that too bad oh, for her? too bad. Exhausting. <laughs> Which sits on, a, on more than 200 feet of prime waterfront property, but she also doesn't want the home listed. So let's talk about that. What, you know, what is a whisper listing and what is the advantages, I guess, of a, of a seller saying, I have this wonderful property and I don't want it listed, but yet I want to sell it. And I only want certain people to come through and look at it. It's twofold. I think the top two are privacy and not having open houses and people, you know, coming in and out. Um, and the second reason is really uh, they're not 100% committed to selling and they want to sort of dip their toe in the water. I think it also gives this, uh, this feeling of exclusivity. And so there's going to be a specific – I mean, look, Shakira's apartment is a great example because – or a house, I guess, um, because it's a luxury property and you want to sort of entice the people who are looking for something exclusive. And that's what you get. You get that person to sort of buy into the sort of secretive factor. All right. So gonna, in some ways, it's strategic. We're going to take a break. We have to uh, go to this break. But we are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we're talking to our panel, and we're talking about Whisper Listings. Uh, and they are apartment owners that don't want to list their apartment, but they want to sell. So let me ask you guys a question. So given what we said just before the break, how easy is it then to sell an apartment that you have as a whisper listing? Because if you can't get it out there, you can't advertise it, and you can't really let people know that it's available, what do you do? Email. How do you, how do you sell it? Email and phone calls. Email and phone calls, personal networks. Personal networks. 100%. Yeah, if you, if you have, for example, a buyer looking for a specific product, um, an A line or a B line is in a specific building mm-hmm. and you're able to, for example, mail the building or call the owners there and just see if they'd, you know, entertain an unsolicited offer from a qualified buyer. You know, you, you can certainly match those together very quickly. I've done that on a number of occasions and, you know, the, the problems that you run into are sometimes their, their pricing is unrealistic. They just have a number in their mind and they want to do it, but it's, it shows if you're working with buyers that you're, you're working and that you can source off market deals. So it, it shows that you have more of a value add. Um, but a lot of times I think the value that you can provide is just by showing as much as you can. That's not necessarily on the market to a buyer. Um, and the sellers sometimes are, are going to work with you and sometimes they're not. What then is the difference between a whisper listing and a pocket listing? Because we hear that term a lot in New York real estate. I mean, are they really one of the same or what, what, what's a pocket listing? Um, yeah, well, I want, actually wanted to make one point. Though. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Because when I hear whisper listings, I whenever a seller comes to me and I talk about a whisper listing, you smile have, when you hear that because you're I, smiling. I do smile. I first smile, no. <laughs> but, but then I say, "Do you really want to do this?" And and I usually say to them, "Look, I don't care if you use me as your agent or someone else, but you really want full market exposure for this apartment." So whenever I hear whisper listings, I always feel like the seller tends to get the short end of the stick a lot of times because what happens, especially in this market now, where prices went up so much, a lot of sellers who don't follow the market like we do every day, you, they, they find out from a broker, I can get $1.5 million for my place? Are you kidding me? I only bought it for 900000 a few years ago, whatever the case may be. And they get excited and that broker gets them a deal. Meanwhile, they, they could have got one seven if it was on the market in the bidding war. You know, and that's so, I, I so many times feel like it's a disservice to sellers you know, when, when they sell. And I, I know sometimes it's great for brokers, great for selling brokers too. They don't have to do any open houses. They have to do – they put one little deal together, no show sheets, no photos, right? But I really think a, a lot of times, not always because sometimes there's legitimate reasons like privacy and what have you that sellers don't want to go through the whole process. But a lot of times it's a disservice to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But to answer your question, pocket listing versus whisper listing. I mean, I guess what a, po- a pocket listing usually, I mean, I guess in our field tends to have a negative connotation. It usually means, not always, but usually means you're doing something you're not supposed to do. A seller signs an ex- agreement with you. They think you're going to put it on the market, but really you're not going to put it on the market. You're going to try to keep it in your pocket, the listing, mm-hmm. and tell all your broker friends, Shop or tell, your, sorry, tell yeah. your direct buyer people about it so that you don't have to co-broke it and share the commission. So it tends to have a negative connotation. There's also, I think, you know, there's probably a more positive connotation, but that... No, but I agree with the negative, but I also agree with what you said before in that sometimes sellers don't really realize that they're doing themselves a disservice with right. either one of these types of listings right. because, as you say, in a hot market, when there are bidding wars or over-ask, you know... Um, 
bids, whatever, they lose out on that stuff. That's right. And not only that, Vince, they also don't get to choose. A lot of times if a seller goes with one particular person for a whisper listing, I had a situation recently. They went with someone in the building. It was like an insider deal. They thought they were getting this great deal. The buyer took a month to sign the contract. Actually, they never wound up signing the contract, but it took a month of negotiations because there's no other competition. You know, so when when you put something on the market now, you even if there's not as much competition, you could play it off as there's competition. I have other people interested. I have second showings. I have, and it puts some pressure on the deal, and it really does help sellers. It helps getting a contract signed. So it also helps. gives the sellers more opportunity who to choose. Do I want a cash deal? This person's putting more down, et cetera. So you don't, you don't always have that if you're, you know. You don't. And, it, and, <clears throat> and again, the, the word disservice to the seller <clears throat> is huge. But again, sometimes, you know, for, for circumstances unbeknownst to us, people do what they need to do or right. want to do whatever. I've certainly seen these situations in my former company where there were celebrities involved. They just did not want a, a, you know, a parade of people coming through their home. And it was just up to the brokers in the company and just a couple of friends, as Parul said before, you know, email messages, you know, contact with your personal network. So, you know, eventually these places get sold, but uh, they can do a lot better. Let's move and talk about um, renovations and remodelings because, you know, in this town, almost everything you buy on some level needs to be touched somewhere, a little spruce up, a little paint, a lot of work, a lot of renovation. What, you know, when 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 buyers look at these places, what are the improvements that they need to make that are going to bring back the most value when they sell their home because it really comes down to I'm paying X amount of dollars for an apartment, then I'm paying X amount of dollars for a renovation. But what am I going to get back You know, five years from now, a year from now, or even if I stay here for 10 years? Where is the value and what part of these apartments – a lot of people ask me this, you know, as, as a buyer's broker, Vince, you know, what do you recommend I do? I mean, you can, you know, it's across the board, but I mean, what are the, the most valuable things in an apartment rental that should be done? Well, I think first and foremost, Vince, it's really evaluating the kitchen and the bath. And right. in, in my niche of buyers, I usually work with a first time buyer that is buying an apartment that needs some level of work. And they say, well, you know, it was a reach to do this, but I really want to do this. And I just say, look at the kitchen, look at the bath, white, crisp, simple, number one, that will last the longest. Number two, if you decide to sell three, five, seven, or 10 years, it will most likely stay in the best condition. But I really suggest looking at the kitchen and bath first. And then I also suggest looking at the floors. Those are also very important. Those are definitely on, on high on the list. And, you know, classic finishes like subway tile that will, exactly. you know, move through the generations or move through the decades. Classic. Mm-hmm. Classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people come in and we see very, very unique renovations. And what happens? Oh, I can't do that. We all watch House Hunters and they come <laughs> mm-hmm. in and say, I, a pink bedroom? I, can, I can't even deal with that. I can't buy this house. <laughs> well, a can of paint will change that. Yeah. Right? It's only a pink wall. I had a, a seller with concrete floors in a pre-war. Gorgeous, but it weeded out a lot of buyers because you're putting concrete in a pre-war Art Deco building. Uh, you know how do the how do buyers go through the process then of renovating? So we we single out you know the, the the most important places within the apartment to do this. Where do you do we recommend? Contractors, or they have their own. I think it really depends. It depends on the specific unit that they, that they've identified. Maybe the bathroom is fantastic, but the kitchen countertops need granite, right? They're it's like the formica. Um, so you put something like granite in. I generally recommend. I have a number of contractors that I work with. And I think Same that's here. a value add of working with a broker is that exactly. we have a network of contacts. Always that more we than can, one name too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I always give three. Yeah, <laughs> always yeah. give three. But one stop shopping to Niall's point because you want to be that that you know person who has. 
a bag full of everything that you may need in this renovation. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, just I mean, I can, yeah, I mean that's it. I was just basically you, you just source it out. You give them the contractors. They they chat with them whoever they feel comfortable in terms of pricing, etc. They come in um, and they make the renovations accordingly. I think some things. Uh, I think Nadia mentioned the floors. Um, if you have uh, the parquet floors, a lot mm-hmm. of people rip that up. And the clients that I've worked with and put hardwood floors down. And something as simple as putting in crown moldings too exactly. really make a huge difference yeah, in terms of just pop when you walk in and, mm-hmm. and can affect resale. Yeah, value. I would just. just to add to that, I totally agree. Like I said, I usually tell my customers one of the biggest bang for your buck is floors often, especially mm-hmm. if they're parquet floors yeah. because maybe they're not as much as doing a new kitchen or a new bathroom. But man, what a difference it makes. Huge. And also you want to think about what the renovations is the order of things. So for example, the floors is something that before you move in, you're probably going to want to do. Mm-hmm. So I'll often say if you're going to do the floors, really think about whether you want to you know, do that before you move in because once you move in, it's really hard to do the floors. <laughs> and the kitchen and bath, if you don't have the money right now to do that, you can always do that down the road back. Bath is a little more tricky because if you're doing the bath, you may not be able to live there because you can't, you know, you need mm-hmm. your bathroom. So these are just things to think about too, the order in which you And you the one that. other thing I'll add is uh, we started the conversation saying what sort of renovations should the buyer make versus the seller. Um, if a buyer is going to use the place for a long time, then for instance, replacing kitchen appliances is probably not going to be that beneficial because 10 years later or seven years later, they'll still be outdated. So if they're trying to cut corners, cut costs, there are certain things that it's not going to help them for resale value, but then it's about why are they renovating. So if they're renovating for their own personal use and upgrade, that's another, that's a whole different ball of wax than than when they're renovating for resale value. And I think also to save cost, always go and check with the resident manager, the super, the people who work in the building, especially co-ops, because you have to deal with alteration agreements and you really want to make sure you save a little bit of money and the process is, is faster. Talk about the timeline because for our listening audience out there who is not necessarily New York savvy, and you know we do hear everything here rather in New York very differently than around the world. And if we say we're going to do a renovation in our home in the suburbs and we put 30 days on it, it probably will get done in 25 days for the most part. <laughs> here in the city, it's the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. So let's tell our listening audience though about the timeline that comes with a renovation, minor or not, because we all know what goes on with these renovations. Permits. Make sure you have the permits that you need depending on what kind of renovation it is. If you're just ripping out a kitchen or a bathroom, there's still a process. But if you're actually renovating a townhouse or something, there's so much that goes into it um, that it's, it's, I mean, really, it's not at all like renovating a house in the suburbs. I have found multiple times, multiple times that buyers come back to me and they crab at me because I I recommended a contractor or or, or whatever. (laughs) And I said, this is the best thing in the world. You know, he's going to do or she's going to do the best job for you, blah, blah, whatever. And they come back and say, you know, Vince, we're 30 days over or we're 45 days over. What do you say? You know, I I had a manager once that told me. Never ever recommend a contractor, <laughs> and I, and it's funny because I, I I I then recommend that I because how could you not? You're yeah, a broker. You can't you're, say to your you clients, to. no, right. I can't do that. Good. That's why you that's why you recommend three, like Rachel yeah. said. Well, exactly. but, <laughs> then it's not your responsibility. But, right. You have to make sure that you toe the line of being an expert and not being responsible, not being so accountable. Yes. Right. Exactly. But still, to pick one of those three. His, I guess his point was, and he's been in the business a very very long time. He's like this one piece of advice: never. Rec-. And the reason is is because they could do a great job on 
on Project A and not a great job on Project B. They can do a great job for on a kitchen, but maybe they've never done bathrooms before. And so his point was they're going – people tend to not just like love their contractors. Sometimes they do, but there's always some problem. I mean this person's in your home. It's, it's so stressful that there tends to be negative energy that yeah. comes out of it, and they will usually, as Vince says – Apply it to you sometimes. <laughs> Always. And then they'll, they'll talk about the cost overruns. And I say, first question I ask, well, how many change orders have there been? Right. Well, isn't that just our well, occupational hazard, though? I mean, well, seriously, yeah, I think our, I feel like my whole entire job, at least 85% of it, is exactly that, is all these factors that people are going to have a negative reaction to that I have to mitigate, right? Like, mm-hmm. my job is to mitigate that negativity and bring a more positive experience. <laughs> I love that. Because these guys, yeah. I mean, really, but I look at that as my job description. Because right. then I'm not surprised and I'm not complaining about it. I actually walk in and say, okay, how can I help this person right. calm down, make this process easier, better, faster, right? right. Um, and that's it, though. I think that's that's precisely the mm-hmm. what separates sort of like the, the really good brokers because we understand that this is such a stressful process. Anything to do with your home is such a stressful <laughs> process. And and we're there to just sort of just help. Like well, we're, we're, we're holding yeah. hands and we're being the expert and we're, we're helping. But at the same time, we have to mitigate the accountability because it can't become our fault. It can't. In order so. for it to not become our fault, just to piggyback on what you're saying, it's it's important to be conservative with your estimates. You know, I have lovely clients, first-time buyers that just bought an eight-room estate sale on the Upper East Side. It's their dream to renovate. And it was also their dream that they'll be in in six months. And I just had to manage their expectations <laughs> and luck. say, you've got to get through the board. That's probably going to be 90 days. You probably won't be in for a year. And I'm going to be very conservative. And I'd rather you be surprised and come back to me and say, oh, my God, my contractor's finished everything two months ahead of time. This is great. Instead of have it be six months and say, yeah, now we're you know floating around on a friend's couch and my wife is pregnant and I don't know what to do. <laughs> so you and just the key have to manage thing, The key it. thing is I think a lot of brokers are afraid to be realistic with their buyers prior to the purchase because they don't want to lose the deal. I feel like that is so short-sighted. It's so short-sighted because you want to look at this as a long-term business. Like if you make – if you are the ones who have told these people – I mean I've told buyers – I don't like that apartment. I don't think it's going to increase in value. I do not want you to buy it. Like, I've actually been the broker who's actually said to my buyers, don't buy that. And those are the buyers. Not only did they buy that apartment, loved me for telling them the truth, but then recommended me to about 15 other people. I'm not even kidding. Like, in two years, I've had about 15 referrals from a buyer that I just literally had a fight with. And I said, I don't want you to buy this apartment. I don't like it for you. And they didn't agree with you and they bought it anyway. And they bought it. bought it anyway. Yes. Yes. What, of Which course. is fine, yeah, you know, but, but I think it's just that integrity that really Absolutely, takes yeah. us so much further and you shouldn't live out of that fear that it's going to not get you the Well, you have right. to apply a degree yeah. of, of tough love and I think you once do. you do, they, they will respect you and maybe through their choice of going mm-hmm. ahead and buying that property, and they'll learn that it might have not been the best decision. It's not being a contrarian. It's just about actually telling them, you've put your trust in my hands, so then expect me to not agree with you all the time mm-hmm. because I'm looking out for you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's yeah. hold it there. We have to take a break. On the other side of the break, we're going to get personal and find out a lot more about our panel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, uh, segment three, and I wanted to talk to my panel about their business and who they are and, and why they're in the business, et cetera. So joining me again is Perul Brombat from CORE, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Realty, Rachel Altschiller from Douglas Elliman, Nadia Bartolucci from Douglas Elliman, and Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com. So these guys are with me uh, every week. We have a couple of uh, new panelists here, but for the most part, they've been here since the beginning, which already seems like forever. But we are all experienced. We've all been in the business for a long time. We all have our ups and downs. We all love this business passionately, right? I'm going to speak for all of us. <laughs> but but my question to, to you guys is, you know, what made you decide to get into this business? Because probably a lot of us, most of us started doing something else. And maybe we've talked about this a little bit in the past. But this is not generally a first-time career for everybody. Uh, it's mostly a second and third time career, but I find that the people who last and who stick it out, you know, stay forever, and it becomes, you know, more of a lifestyle. It becomes more of who we are, and it becomes a passion. Obsession. <laughs> An obsession. What are you Thank you. About? You said passion. <laughs> I said obsession. So you you take it first. Go 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 for it. Um, because it does. It becomes an obsession. And, and for all of the reasons that you can imagine in real estate, because it's, it's, there's no pay. You know, we, we work you know, 24 by 7 and we live by our little you know, uh, iPhones or whatever, Blackberries. <laughs> but it's an obsession. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us don't realize what we're getting into when we first get into it. No clue. No clue. No. Ignorance. No That's right. by fire. Right. And so for me, I think we've talked about this in the past, what we, we, we all have these amazing, like, journeys. And this is my fourth career. I've done advertising and finance, and I had my own business. And this was kind of like a what next decision. And, you know, t- almost 13 years later, here I am, and I couldn't do anything else. Nothing. It's all I want to do. Niall, talk, talk about that, the, you know, no clue, because I, I laugh when you said that because I 100%, <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree with you. And the reason I say that is because you, like me, interview and hire lots of people all the time. And for the young people coming into this business, I think the expectation today is completely different than it was when we all came into this business. They expect that they're going to get customers right off the, off the bat. They're going to come in and the phones are going to be ringing and they're going to be doing open house and and when they sit there for a day or two and realize, okay, so this is really up to me to make this happen, they, they, they're disillusioned. They have no clue. Yeah, you're your own boss, right? So yeah. if you come into the business, it's up to you 
to go out, source deals, and make money. Right. I laugh because I, I saw an Instagram quote. It was, a, it was an exit sign with a guy in a suit with a briefcase running. And it said, <laughs> and it was like one of those lighter side of real mm-hmm. estate. It said, this is what happens the second when new agents realize that real estate isn't quick money and they're just running for the door. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so true. You know, I interview people all the time and they, totally. they come in with these you know grandiose ideas of the business. I always say they see the TV shows. They yeah, think it's, they say, think you million dollar listing yeah. really helps us out. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious because they come in and they, they talk like such a big game. And I'm just looking at them like, are you serious right now? Do you understand how hard you have to work on a daily basis, on a nightly basis, on a 24-7 basis, yearly basis? Because that's what it takes. And you have to yeah. – and I always say this. You have to learn before you earn in this business. And the first two years are not going to be easy unless you're super connected. And you have to really grind it out. And uh, you know, I think once you get through that, it's like you know when you're working out and you get sore. Yeah. Uh, once you get through those two years though – it starts to get a little bit easier, and you're starting. Yeah, you're starting to hit your hit your stride a little bit. It's like young kids when they start to walk; they fall down a lot, right? Yeah, because they mm-hmm. want to run, they want to walk, and they misstep and they trip and they fall. But they need the bumps and bruises need to, to learn and 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 to to get better at whatever they're doing, walking or or selling real estate. Nadia, you're new to the panel, and but yeah. I've heard so much about you, yeah. um, and I know that you're super energized and super good. What you. brings you to real estate? <laughs> well, um, I the week that I started real estate um, was the week that the economy decided to go off a cliff in 2008. That's a great start. And <laughs> I started my career at Stribling, and I remember the senior broker who I was working with looked at me and said, I totally get if this isn't for you, this is a really bad time to start your career in real estate. (laughs) And I just looked at her and I said, you know, I'm going to get through it. I run marathons in my spare time. And if you can get through that, you can get through eight months of making zero dollars, which I did. (laughs) And then I started to do rentals and then the sales came and then it just clicked. And once it clicks, you are energized and you become excited and you see the reward and the happiness you put in your buyers and your sellers, and it just keeps going. And then you don't mind taking calls on your honeymoon. You don't mind working around the clock <laughs> to make everyone happy because you love what you do. I, I on your honeymoon, just, okay, so that's a first one. I think we just scared away 300 <laughs> hires for Vincent, Vincent Nile right now. I just won't listen to this episode. Yeah. If I got that in an interview, I'd say, okay, you're talking on, on the honeymoon, you're in. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Done. Work for me. Oh, that's hilarious. You and I, Phil talked about this a couple of weeks ago when you were our featured guest. But, you know, again, what yeah. what made you make that transition from lots of great things that right. you were doing in the past to to real estate? Well, something Nadia just said. Nadia, is that right? Yes. Just said made me think about something else that we didn't talk about is impact. Like you, you do feel like in this business you have some impact. You know, you want to feel like you're doing something with your life. Mm-hmm. And, look, there are a lot of – greater things to be doing, uh, you know, solving crises in the world. And I'm not saying we're doing that, clearly. Oh, but you are, you are for some say. Well, <laughs> Sometimes say you're solving world hunger, you are. <laughs> but having said that, you you really do feel like you're, you're working with someone who is in, in their most stressful point of their entire life, buying a home is listed always as some of the most the most stressful things they could possibly be doing and you're helping them get through that, finding the right home and you make so many friends in the process. I mean, you really do. I'm sure a lot of your best friends... All my were, clients are my friends. Right, yeah. right. right? Yeah. And I mean, so it's such an enriching business and the idea, and we talked about this, Vince, in the past, is the idea that there's really no ceiling to your growth. You know, it's not like a lot of other companies where there's FaceTime you have to put in and you report to a manager. And in this case... 
you go out and make as much as you can. You put as many people in as many homes as you can. And there's something very, very rewarding about that. And every day is different, like we talked about. Every single day is different. You're always learning something. And that's what makes it so exciting. That's what I love about it. You wake up in the morning and you think you know what your agenda is going to be based on your workload, whatever. And trust me, every day it is a little bit of that, but a lot of everything else. (laughs) Perul, what or who in in this industry inspires you and why? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I, You know what? I won't single out certain people, or maybe I will, but it's... You don't have to name names. I, but, I will but, tell you that the, the brokers who inspire me are the ones who come from a genuine place. So for me, I think that it's actually being in this industry that taught me that I now solidly believe that the world is split in two types of people. So the ones who believe in abundance and the ones who believe in scarcity. And people who are driven by scarcity are fear-driven. So they will rape, pillage, steal, and clamor for every piece of business. For every, They will try to cut corners, shortchange their buyers, their sellers, and the other brokers in the community and on deals. And then there are the brokers who will be generous and calm and understand how to have a longer-term point of view, how to share, how to... Uh, see value in human beings, whether you're a new broker or somebody. And and I just, it's the brokers who work from that place of abundance, that place of a center and understanding that this is a long-term business. And ultimately, I feel like the truth wins. It really does. Like if you are, if you work from that place, if you work from that place where you care about everybody in the deal, yes, your fiduciary responsibility is the person you're representing. But if you come from a place of fairness and wanting to be right to everybody involved and treat everyone with respect. I think that that's what, and there are brokers who are top notch brokers who do that so beautifully. I mean, in fact, I will name one person who I think is fantastic at that Leonard Steinberg. Mm -hmm. He is so great at being self-effacing and cool and walking somebody through a deal. I've seen him work with people who are not experienced at all. And he's treated them with such tremendous respect um, on showings during open houses. I mean, I'll just observe when I'm at an open house. And there's a lot to be said for for that part. He's extremely unique. And then, of course, you need to know your market, your product. You have to be a well-educated broker. You have to know how to fight for your clients. But who I respect and who inspires me are the people who build amazing businesses doing it the right way. And that's not just to real estate. That's in any business in general. Rachel, what about you? Wow, I could not have said that better. I know, seriously. Uh, I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, I think who inspires me is my business partner, and you know the the great brokers that I've formed friendships with over mm-hmm. the last, thir- and that includes you, Vince. I mean, really, you Agreed. are like, you're in my top five, and and you're someone I trust and I go to, and and just like Perul said, I mean, I am inspired by the creativity that it takes every day to do a deal. And to be able to bounce ideas off each other and brainstorm and never take no for an answer. You know, those, yeah. those are the things that, like you said, make our job so exciting and rewarding every day. And, Great and question. add a piece of homage yeah. to Vince specifically. <sighs> I have to say that, you know, when I asked him what made you look me up and say, let's, you know, come to this show, do this radio show with me. He said, we negotiated on a deal and you negotiated so well and you beat me up and took everything you could for your buyer. <laughs> and I respected you True for story. that. True story. True story. He's like, and I respected mm-hmm. you for that. You know what? It takes – there's few brokers 
who have the ability to remember you from six years because of that reason. That's you know, right. I mean, that was just amazing. And trust me, that building has lots of stories. Okay, yes. You rise to the above. Niall, what pushes you to the next level? Because we always get, we can tend to get stuck in the mud sure. from time to time because of, you know, a whole bunch of things that go on or not. But what pushes you to the next level? That's a great question. I, you know, first off, I think a lot of it comes down to just personal drive. You know, I want to be super successful. That's the reason why I'm in New York. Um, I can, you know, you can go to anywhere in the in the world and, and dabble in real estate. But you come to New York, it's the top of the top of the top, cream of the crop, as they say. And um, I think what really you know, it pushes me to the next level is just seeing competition around me. I mean, just reading, you know, the real deal. Coming to uh, this panel every week and just talking with, with everyone and seeing the deals that they're doing and uh, what's happening. That makes me get up and just want to work harder so I could see, you know, success like everyone else's. Do you feel sometimes, though, I mean, I know I do some, you, you know, you look out there and you, the competition is so fierce and the competition is so, you know, out there and so strong, do you, does it sometimes get you down, or do you just keep pushing to the next? Yeah, there's always moments, right? right. But yeah. if you have if you have your eye on the prize and you just wake up every day, just knowing that you're going to win the day, and you come from a good place and you know that you could do it. I mean, you see the like when you first start and you read the articles and you see what's going on, it's a little daunting. But then as you you stay in the business in your career and you've done a deal in that building and, you, you know, you've you've brought a buyer, you sold the building or you've done whatever it is, you know, it, you become more comfortable with your experience and you know that you're that you can achieve that. You're never competing with anybody else. You're just competing with yourself. Exactly. You just put your head down, you do your thing and it's not about what anybody else is doing other well than to said. learn from it. Well yeah. said. All right, we're going to take a break. We will come right back with more panel discussion on the other side of the break. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everybody. Nadia, what is the hottest deal you have made to date and why? The hottest deal. Hottest deal. Um, I'm going to say I consider this the hottest deal. The negotiation started in the middle of August, and we just received a signed contract last week. 
Seriously? Seriously. I had almost the same thing last September, <laughs> and it closed in February. Wow. It just yeah. it felt like a big win. It was a um, it was a seven family in Crown Heights, beautiful brownstone, and the negotiation for various reasons just took forever. Buyer and seller stepped away. Seller came back. Buyer stepped away again. It just went on and on and on. And then finally, as we you know crept into the holiday season, the broker called us and said, you know, we we have to make a deal. And the buyer was ready, and uh, the seller was ready to realize what it was really worth, and came down, and we made it work. And that in itself was the hottest deal and the most emotional deal mm-hmm. and frustrating mm-hmm. deal. But it was it was the biggest accomplishment, I think, for our team this year. It felt good and it made everyone happy. Warren, several bottles of wine, of course. Yes. <laughs> Got to go there. So what about you, Phil? You know, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking about it. And I, I, and I hope this isn't a cop out to the question, but I actually have a way of like every deal is so crazy, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. that I have this way in order to get on, I almost like try not to think about it anymore. I mean, as I know it sounds like no, I, it's, it's almost so can't. weird. So as you're speaking, I'm like, yeah. I feel like I had so much. This, this year in particular was in, especially because the crazy. market's so crazy yeah. and you have all these bidding wars. Like I'd have to sit here and really think about which was the, you know, which was the craziest deal I had. I, I, I don't know. I can't even give you one. I, I just know that. There is that great feeling when all of a sudden all parties come together mm-hmm. and it's negotiated and the contract signed. It's like, oh, oh. you hit that nice deep breath. <laughs> yeah. And then the it's next so day, true. you're on to an, you know, another yeah. crazy deal. And that's you're the on, business. You're but. on to the next, the next day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I kind of agree with you too. Yeah. But I, I did have one, um, like Nadia, that yeah. went on for way too – all through last Christmas season, which oh. you know was kind of like – <laughs> dreadful and, and, and whatever, and a very, 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 very big dollar amount. So mm-hmm. you can just imagine the, the stress. But, you know, every day it's another one. So you, you yeah. leave that one and you go into the, uh, another similar situation. What is your secret weapon for stealing a deal? Sealing a deal. How do you seal that deal? Well, how do I steal the deal? Pocket listing. Yeah, that's what he said. Stealing the deal is all about just being prepared, you know. And we talked about, you know, writing the offer letters and making sure that everything is bullet point and that you know your offer is complete, right? And that's how you would steal a deal from another uh, from another um, buyer, potential (laughs) buyer, if you're representing a buyer. Um, How do you seal the deal? I think it's a matter of knowing your market and what building or neighborhood that you're in. Uh, you know, talking about comps, making sure that, you know, your, your bullet point on everything that you know exactly what's happening so that you can communicate with transparency to all sides of, of the deal. So as to get the, the terms matched, uh, I think it just comes down to, to knowledge and doing your homework. And if you do that and you're transparent with everybody and you can get, and you could sell the other broker to sell the seller, um, on why, you know, your offer is the right one, then you could seal the deal. And it just comes down to communication and transparency. I agree. And I'm also thinking about something that Nadi just said a minute ago, you know, and I just experienced also at the end of last year into this year. Aside from some of the mechanical things that can and do and always mm-hmm. will go wrong, don't you feel sometimes like you're the doctor and the psychiatrist and the mm-hmm. bartender and the school teacher? Of course. And Every day. These are the and things. the one having the baby and the one going through the divorce. And, yes. the club <laughs> and having labor pains, which I did recently yes. with someone, you know, <laughs> going through the actual labor pains. And I thought, well, why is this happening to me? This is really too much. Anyway, but <laughs> why, you know, why, it's sealing the deal. So these are the things you got to take into yeah. consideration, right? Because if you don't don't play the psychiatrist sometimes or a psychologist, it's not going to happen. I was thinking of the craziest deal this year and 
easily for me, it was this uh, divorced couple, and I have a psych background, and I never enjoyed it so much. <laughs> and it was so crazy. And we ended up in the conference room of their divorce attorney. He had his own buyer's broker. I was the wife's buyer's broker, and then there was the selling broker. And it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a lot of money. It required all of my time, but we got it done because I looked at the ex-husband right in his eyes, and I said, so you're going to give on the price, and we're going to give on the space. Uh, And he backed down. (laughs) <laughs> the attorneys couldn't do it. No one else can I'm do it. I'm backing down right and now. I, yeah, that's right. yeah, baby. And, and it worked like a charm. And she and my client, the wife, was so so grateful. I mean, it just was so rewarding. It was great. That takes a lot of courage. But, yeah. but you did it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. What, what is the hottest area right now for deals? Where where I mean, we talk about Dumbo. We talk about a lot of specific neighborhoods. But where where right now in in, in December of fourteen is the hottest area for deals? Uh-huh. Flatiron, nomad, I would say. Nomad, nomad and I, I think Nomad. I was thinking like. Nomad, yeah. And Flatwell border there, yeah. Why? Um, Why do you think? Um, the, I remember I had a, um, an investor buy two units, two units at 39 East 29th, the Park Madison. Mm-hmm. He bought and then the market crashed and he was devastated. And it, he, he, he was really tough for a while there. He couldn't get a mortgage. He kept the properties. Mm. And he remembers, and we both talked about this at the time, the Gansevoort Hotel was going up across the street. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how the, you know, the Ace Hotel just started, the Gansevoort Hotel, and it seemed like things were changing. And you know, it, we, didn't, we didn't have a crystal ball, but we had a feeling. And looking back now, I believe those were some of the seeds in the beginning, like the Ace Hotel, the Gansevoort Hotel. And next thing you know, and, and of course, Madison Square Park started to become really cool with Shake Shack and all these things. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, that area just exploded. And I think people looked at it and said, why isn't this area hotter? It's right in the middle of Manhattan. Um, there's some zoning changes there too. I think that took took place and are still taking place. So the, and and the prices were really good at the time. And now it's now all these cool restaurants and bars are opening up. I mean, it's it's definitely one of the coolest places right now. In I'm going to say Queens. Queens is now voted the number one destination, and I'm from Queens. I have to tell you, uh, from Jamaica all the way to Jackson Heights, Rigo Jamaica, Park. Jamaica, that's the surprise that's there, right, Jamaica. Because and, of the LIRR, yep, the easy transit. Yep. Yep. 2015 has Queens all over it. If you had to live, work in any other city other than New York, where would it be? Niall, I'll start with you. I lived in Barcelona, so I would, I would go back there. I agree I, to Barcelona. I love that city. It's, love. Uh, you got the beach right there. You got to go with mm. Barcelona. Perfect. Yeah, any, any city with the beach. Uh, I was thinking Sydney, Australia. Ooh, okay. San nice. Diego. In this country, yes, I would agree. San Diego, okay. Yeah, it could be here. It could be anywhere. Nadia. Rome, Italy. Oh, that was mine. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, You Rome. can say Rome, too, because I was going to say either Rome or Paris. I mean, you know, my yeah. best friend sell real estate in Rome. be great. Rome, I know. Rome is such a I need to great, travel more. There's an energy there. There's an energy there. The it's it's sort of like great. an untapped. I can't quite explain it. Yeah. You know, Paris is gorgeous. Rome yeah. has a sort mm-hmm. of Agreed. energy there. Yeah. It's just greedy it's energy. They do. When I was at two years ago, I think, and I, when you <clears> mentioned that you're a real estate agent, they would seem very interested in real estate, not – I mean, not there, but I guess New York or anywhere, but they really wanted to know about real estate in Rome. Mm. Paris, they could care less. Paris is all about (laughs) whatever, the scarves and the the jeans and whatnot. So would you ever consider leaving New York? Prosperous career, successful career here in New York City, love real estate, passionate, obsessive, whatever. Would you actually go somewhere else to to do this or anything? I think we're all going to say – 
No. <laughs> that's what I'm, such a that's tough what I'm looking to, for. No. It's so tough to think of that because, I mean, we've built our, our careers are so yeah. tied to the city. I've thought of it. I've thought of moving somewhere warmer and beachy, but... Start all over. Start over. Yeah, another you know ten years. There are so yeah. many other places around the world, even here domestically. I used to flirted with the with Los Angeles for a long time, and I thought, you know what? But so or the Hamptons. But where do you? I mean, how do you put this aside? As you said, Peru, because you build this business over years. It doesn't happen over months or over weeks. It mm. happens over years, and the longer you're in it. Mm-hmm the more successful you become or the more successful your business becomes. So how do you take that even when we get stressed, crazed, and, and whatever else, and we want to just dump it all and say, I'm just going to, you know, whatever. You can't. That's in LA is in meditation. Yeah, that's when you got to take a vacation. Yeah. It's, vaca- it's vacation time. It's, <laughs> it's gym time. When you go get a massage, gym time. <laughs> yeah. Or a partner that helps you out. You know, that yeah. can sometimes help. Well, that or too, yeah. Or massages together. Yeah. 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 Right. Travel together. Travel together. <laughs> All right, unfortunately, guys, we are out of time once again. So uh, thank you all for being here. I love it best when you're all in the studio. It makes much better conversation. This is great. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 Eastern, 6 Pacific time live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.